Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Tuesday, April the 11th, 2023. It's always easy, of course, to make generalizations about our age, and I tend to be one of those generalizers. One thing that I think can be said for sure, I don't think many people would disagree, that we live in an age of big problems. Uh, they extend from the problems of American healthcare to the problems of economic inequality, to the problems, of course, of global warming and the environment, to the problem of democracy and its undermining by populism, um, and uh, perhaps most importantly, the, the problem of anxiety, of why we, many of us at least, seem so anxious in the 2020s. Uh, what this suggests is, in an age of big problems, uh, we need to think bigger. We need big ideas, and that's uh, the subject of our show today. Uh, Sheena uh, Iengar ha has a new book out, Think Bigger, How to Innovate. Many of you will be familiar with uh, Sheena. Uh, she's the author of a best-selling book, The Art of Choosing, from 2011. Indeed, more than 10 years ago, she was on my uh, TechCrunch Keynote show, and she's back with a follow-up, um, <laughs> Think Bigger, How to Innovate. And Sheena is joining us from uh, her office at Columbia University. She teaches at the business school there. Sheena, uh, do you agree that we live in an age of big problems? Are the problems today in the 2020s, are they bigger than they've been historically? I love the way you spin it as we live in an era of a lot of big problems. Are they bigger than they were before? Well, I mean, that's hard to know because we don't know if we were maybe not as aware before of so many problems that we had. I do think we're more aware today and it's, you know, much more transparent and obvious to us around the globe that we are enveloped in big problems. Yeah, they seem daunting. They seem to over Paris, the other thing I forgot to mention, maybe we can talk about this later in our conversation, is we also live in an age of AI, which is very exciting, but also troubling. If we are ruled by smart machines, it may indeed be our final invention. So, Sheena, let's talk about how to think bigger. This mm -hmm. book came out of a course that you've been teaching at the university uh, in the business school. Uh, built on a six-step method. But before we get to those six steps, is there a, 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 a meta message here about thinking bigger? How do we do it? We all, of course, want to think better. Not better, but bigger. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but most of us struggle. Uh, why is that? Well, I think that for the most part, we don't teach people how to be creative, how to solve problems. We give them this uh, myth that somehow all you have to do is let your mind wander and it'll come to you organically, particularly if you're really smart, that great ideas are like magic. 
um, and that it comes to you either because you're a special person or you happen to be in a special moment or a special place in time. So I think that's one big, you know, hurdle to cross. Um, and we also tend to believe that there's only that there's certain types of people that tend to be more creative. There's the entrepreneurial type or the creative type. And then there's the so-called analytic type. Um, and somehow the analytic types are not creative as if there's certain kinds of tasks and there's certain kinds of people. Um, and both of those are not true. I mean, we're all being creative from the moment we're born, from the moment we wake up, to the moment we go to bed at night, to the moment we die. So we're constantly being creative. What I'm talking about here in Think Bigger is actually taking all the advances we have had in science in the last 30 years in both cognitive and neuroscience that's taught us how we think, how we make connections, how we form thoughts, what pitfalls we can fall into in terms of biases, taking all that together. How do we actually use that to be more deliberative about getting our best ideas out? Because anybody can do it. It's like learning a gym routine. The subtitle of your book, Sheena, is How to Innovate. What's the connection between innovation and thinking bigger? If you think bigger, are you by definition innovating? And if you're able to innovate, are you by definition thinking bigger? So the title Think Bigger is literally what I'm having you do. I'm literally taking how our mind works, showing you how our mind works when we're making a thought. And now saying, okay, let's take what the mind does naturally, make a template of it. And now we're just going to be very deliberative about how we do it. So that way you can essentially really be deliberative about coming up with ideas when you want to, when you need to. You don't have to wait for it to happen organically. It sounds, you mentioned the word magical, uh, Sheena, earlier. It sounds magical. Are you no, it actually that... takes some work. It's just like learning. A... Well, I, well, I take your point that it takes some work, but magic takes some work. Are you suggesting that this new book, Think Bigger, is a manual for innovation, that it's almost like Sure. A, a join it's, the dots. It is. It is a prescriptive book. I'm not there. While I do tell you stories, um, I sh I do give you examples. It. This is not a book where it's just war stories or inspiring stories. This is a book. It is a how-to book. Uh, it's a short book. Um, I'm not trying to put too much in it. I'm literally spending the first two chapters telling, updating you on what science has shown us in the last 30 years. And then I tell you, we're going to apply it. And then I literally walk you through the six steps that you can apply, whether you're trying to create a startup, grow a startup, come up with a new career, or solve a personal problem, like figuring out how you're going to find your soulmate. Wow. Well, we did a show yesterday, actually, about uh, finding a soulmate. And uh, actually, some of your work came up. There was a suggestion that we have an, we can sometimes have an abundance of choice, which makes finding a soulmate harder. 
you say that the science is there, Sheena, but science and scientists are always arguing. They're always changing their minds. What science specifically are you talking about, which you've suggested is there to enable us to think bigger and to innovate? So I refer, I mainly build on the work of Eric Kandel, who won the Nobel in the early 2000s um, in neuroscience, um, in learning and memory. So if I, what he observed is that if I ask you a question, like what's two plus two, what do you, how do you answer that question? You go into the shelves of your mind, which you've been, think of your brain as a, a large inventory system. And you've been collecting lots of different bits of information from the moment you were born. And so when I ask you the question two plus two, you know what two is, you go to where the plus sign is, you go to the two, you know what to do when you see this, and you quickly do it at this point subconsciously, voila. And then if I ask you, hey, can you come up with a word that rhymes with airplane, but it's not a real word, again, you go to the shelves of your mind, and you you know what sounds to play with, that it has to end with ain. And then you find some sounds you can put in front, but and then you do different combinations until you find one which can't possibly happen as compared to what your brain already knows exists. I just gave you an example of a so-called analytical task and a so-called creative task. In both cases, your brain is actually doing the same exact, very similar process. You're retrieving information, you're making a connection, you're spitting it out. What I'm doing in Think Bigger is taking that very process and saying, okay, we know how to do this when it's rote, when you've got all the information and you know where to go and get it. What if we were to try to solve for a problem that's harder and you don't necessarily have all the information that you need in your brain? How can we create a external transparent templates of the way your mind would collect information and organize the information, collect information both in your brain and from other parts from the external world. And now I'm going to show you in a very deliberative way how you can make those same combinations and connections that you were doing when you were coming up with words that rhyme with airplane, but this time on something a lot harder. Well, it makes sense, I guess, but you mentioned startups before, and you, if, if you can think bigger, if you read your book and take your argument, then you can make a successful startups. Even in the perfect world, Sheena, most startups fail. Is thinking mm -hmm. bigger and innovation, is that bound up with success? Or uh, as, as you know, with teaching at the business school at Columbia, are most big thoughts still resulting in failure? So in the method of Think Bigger, I the, the main tool that you're using for coming up with the idea of a, let's say it's a startup, actually, I do teach students the Think Bigger method, and they apply it towards coming up with entrepreneurial ideas. And what I tell them is, look, on average, we know that most new ideas, like new experiments, have a pretty good chance of failure. The reason why we're using choice mapping to generate solutions 
new ideas is because it is reducing the odds of a failure. It's increasing the odds that you'll make it. But we can't do a guarantee. You're combining tactics that all have prior evidence of having worked. And by doing that, you're increasing the odds of success. That's the core of the choice mapping tool that underlines Think Bigger. I know that in uh, the book, um, I mean, two plus two is, is interesting, but I'm not sure that's a big thought if we all conclude that it's four. Um, in the book, you, you, you have some interesting examples. You note the Pfizer BioNTech yes. COVID-19 vaccine. Could you use that as an example of how we need to, uh, how we can successfully think bigger and innovate? What, what does that example teach us or how does it teach us to innovate? Well, first and foremost, they did, they brought together, they had to bring together a very big team, right? But even though they were very big teams with different pockets of expertise, they made each team small-ish, right? And so what you had was a collaboration of experts that would meet every morning and every night, at that time on Zoom. And they would start every meeting by asking one question. And it was the same question every time. And that's an important part of innovation, which is, what's the problem we're trying to solve? Now, you might think that was self-evident. We're trying to create a vaccine that'll end uh, this, you know, giant global lockup. But actually, the answer to that question keeps changing, right? Because you're learning different things. And by resetting at the beginning and end of every day, because each person is bringing new information, they're able to say, okay, so the problem now that we're on focus to do is X. And of course, each person who's responsible for their little part again, has a focus based on their the new information that they themselves collected and the new information that the other people collected. So that's the first big thing that Pfizer did, which was huge. Um, the second thing that they did was that they were able to leverage knowledge that already existed, um, meaning that mRNA, we knew we had that knowledge. It wasn't like it was all invented in nine months. We had that. We knew how it could potentially be applied. Um, but then we had to solve a bazillion other problems, right? Like how do we keep it cold? How do we get transported, et cetera? And by being able to look at other domains, meaning other industries that have to transport things that are relatively small, but get it to people so that it still remains cold by looking at other industries that had solved analogous problems. They were able to essentially import in with some edits those, those tactics so that they could use them and apply them when they were trying to create their vaccine and getting it out there. And they were solving all these problems simultaneously. Are you suggesting then that thinking bigger, innovating is an organizational dilemma? You can do it as an individual too, but I think the 
Um, I would say that the two, I guess the three most important things that you need to do, whether you're an individual or whether you're a collective, is first, you have to be very clear with yourself. And, and obviously the answer to this, might, it'll keep changing throughout the process, but you have to be clear with yourself, what's the problem I'm trying to solve? In a way that's concrete so that you can know if you're getting closer or farther away. The second thing you need to be able to do is say, okay, what's the most important thing that I have to feel or achieve if it were solved? So that tells you your priorities. And the third is, you know, clearly I'm trying to solve this problem because there's no known solution in my world for it. But who else has had to deal with an analogous problem? What other industry right now or what other kinds of people have had to deal with this either in the present or the past? And what did they do that worked? And by looking at what did they do that worked, can I take that and edit that to help me come up with my solution? It's very important to build on tactics that work and to not just come up with you know, just wild ideas for the sake of a wild idea. Yeah, another one word that describes perhaps wild ideas is brainstorming. You touched on it earlier with a note of skepticism. Uh, you wrote a piece suggesting or asking whether brainstorming actually does generate great ideas. The cult of brainstorming exists certainly in Silicon Valley and many business schools. Are you a skeptic, Sheena? Should we, should we eliminate that word? Should we liberate ourselves of the word brainstorming when it comes to thinking bigger and innovating? Well, my alternative to that is choice mapping. Um, I think that, look, having people come together in a meeting and share information is useful. Having people come together and engaging in a random sort of, as I call it, idea diarrhea is fun. But I wouldn't count on it to give you the solutions to complex problems. Yeah, I like idea. Well, I, I'm not sure I like actually I, idea diarrhea, but I like the term. I might even put that in the title of the book. You talked about choice mapping. Uh, you, many of many of our viewers and listeners will be familiar with your book, The Art of Choosing. It was a huge success. In fact, it was your last book more than 10 years ago. Two questions here, Sheena. What does choice mapping mean? And what is the link between The Art of Choosing and uh, the new book, um, which you've just come out with, uh, Think Bigger, How to Innovate? Is there a clear line between the two? Yes. So I would say the art of choosing tells you what are the challenges that we have with choice in the modern day. You know, and there's lots of dilemmas that we have today, right? We have too many choices. We can't tell them apart. We don't know what's real versus fake. We don't know what's relevant versus irrelevant. We don't know what's noise and we don't know which choices are worth making. Um, we don't know how to make these really complex choices like life and death. Um, and so 
the, the art of choosing really articulated the modern day dilemmas confronting choosers. Think bigger says, look, what are the two most important things that choice is supposed to be able to do for us? The first is that choice is the tool we use for picking and finding, right? Which, which company or which choice or which option is going to best fulfill my preferences or my needs. And the second is choice is the only tool we have that enables us to create a meaningful choice in the event that it doesn't exist. And so what Think Bigger does is essentially gives you a prescription, a toolkit by which you can do both those things. You can use the Think Bigger method to help you figure out what to pick. And you can use it to help you create a meaningful choice. So that's the link between the two. I have to admit, Sheena, that I'm surprised that it took you so long, and maybe it's not a fair way of putting it, uh, to come up with this second book, um, uh, Think Bigger. Most people who have huge hits, as the art of choosing was and continues to be, follow up fairly quickly. Is there a reason why it took you so long to write your second book? And is this perhaps bound up in Think Bigger? and innovating as an author, as a business school theorist? Well, I would say two things to that. I think it's, um, it's a hard problem to solve. How do you enable people to come up with meaningful new solutions? You know, Brainstorming was invented in 1938. As much as we love to talk about innovation, we actually haven't innovated on innovation since 1938. I, I um, started to teach innovation in 2012. And, and I could clearly see that the way we were teaching it was all wrong. And I was trying to figure out how to do it better. And I I knew based on cognitive and neuroscience that, wait, this doesn't make sense. Why aren't we doing it differently? And yeah, it took me time to test it, to tinker with it. Uh, I guess you could say I'm a slow thinker and a slow writer. Well, that's uh, Daniel Kahneman. Um, uh, you mentioned earlier that everyone can think bigger if they do it correctly. Um, and I'm a we, very big believer of that. Yeah, we did a show and we've done a number of these kinds of shows with another business writer, Lorraine Marchand, on democratizing economic opportunity. And so that's not just white men who boast of being innovators. Uh, as a democratizer of innovation, of thinking bigger, why is it that white men have, and a certain white male establishment, have cornered the market? Is it cultural? Is it political? Well, I, I actually think we have had innovations throughout history in every single culture. Um, we don't always celebrate them. Um, we don't always know about them. But uh, what, I mean, almost every 
culture has a cuisine. Um, you have art in almost every culture, your own, their own art style, their own cuisine, their own fashions. I mean, it's, it is every single people do it. Now, you were talking about the sort of component of it that, you know, leads to big, you know, financial successes. And, yeah, I think it's very much linked to who was working and, you know, which innovations end up getting celebrated and who gets some opportunities. You know, even when we had women that were helping with innovations, it wasn't always easy for them to get recognized. Um, we give credit to Edison for creating the light bulb, and he certainly deserves credit, but he was helped by an African-American whom we rarely talk about. We give credit to Jack Welch for GE's success, but his right arm was an African-American by the name of Lloyd Trotter. Oh. Shinny, you, you, you described yourself as a, th a slow thinker, as I said, uh, probably in reference to the work of Daniel Kahneman, one of the founding fathers of behavioral e e economics. We, we did a show um, with another behavioral uh, e economist, Yuri Gnizer, uh, Gnizer mm -hmm. I'm familiar with his work on. Oh, yeah. On how incentives really work. He has a new book out about how to incentivize people to get them to do not the right thing, but things which benefit themselves and society. Can we incentivize innovation? Can we figure out a way of incentivizing so that we all begin to think bigger? And if so, how? I think it all starts with um, them being taught, you know, in, at a fairly early age to innovate that, it, you know, it's kind of like the way we get kids to join a sport in school. It's, it's just like that. It's the moment it becomes a part of their everyday processes. I think that's a big incentive. But is this taught? Is it something that should happen in the schools in families and universities in the workplace or everywhere? I would like to think it can happen everywhere. And what about the human dimension? Um, we did a show uh, with Mauro Puccini, um, the head of innovation at PepsiCo. I'm sure you're familiar with him. Quite, a, mm -hmm. quite an engaging character on the, what he calls the human side of innovation with chat GPT and the rise of AI, Sheena. It sounds to me like these six steps that you're presenting in, in, in Think Bigger could be turned into an algorithm. What is it particularly human about thinking bigger and innovating that we humans can uh, maintain in, in, in the face of AI, in the face of smart machines? Oh, I do think ChatGPT can help you think bigger. Absolutely, because it enables you to create so many combinations so quickly and effortlessly. And that way you have a easier time trying to compare and contrast and curate and see, okay, I can combine this with this. Uh, you, you can never remove human affect and human judgment. Um, I think if anything, 
chat GBT and these sorts of things will only make us even more able to think bigger, even more creative. Um, you know, much like, you know, uh, computerized chess players actually made human chess players do better at chess. Uh, much like the invention of the camera um, gave rise to art traditions like cubism and impressionism, not to mention the photographer. Shina, let's end where we began with our age of big problems. Uh, that was my term. I think you liked it. What happens um, if we don't learn to think bigger in the 2020s? What will become of us? What's your warning? I mean, perhaps you might incentivize us broadly to think bigger, to innovate. What, what will happen? Of course, everyone needs to read your new book, Think Bigger. But um, what's the, the dark side of, of, of not learning to think bigger? Well, I think that if we don't innovate, we go into decline. I mean, we've seen that in history. There's great examples of the fall of the Greeks, the fall of the Roman Empire, you know, almost every great empire essentially goes down when they stop learning. Um, right now, this globe is even more interdependent than it's ever been throughout history. And, you know, at this time, if we were to enter the Middle Ages, it would be much worse. 